Chelsea Fairless. And I want to start off this episode of the Every Outfit podcast with an apology to Chelsea. Um, last episode, if you heard, she was quite horrified at the state of my well-being, uh, <laughs> saying that I was quite ill and I was a little annoyed. I was miffed, I'll be honest with you. I was like, I could tell. <laughs> it sniffles. Don't worry about it. It'll be gone in a day. It was not gone in a day. I got very sick. You guys, imagine Beth from Little Women, like, <laughs> gaslighting you. Actually, I, I feel pretty good. When I woke up on Friday and realized, like, oh, I'm deathly ill, I was like, oh, fuck. Now I'm really going to feel bad if Chelsea gets sick and then gets tat sick, who is working all this week. But you're fine. I'm on the mend. Recording that episode was like that scene from Bridesmaids where Kristen Wiig is pretending to not be violently ill from food poisoning i only revealed this when i learned that i did not get you sick but it was somehow everything that was a flu a cold and like maybe a stomach flu as well it was just everything wow that sounds great really glad i dodged that bullet miraculously Shall we go straight into the Golden Globe nominations? Where would you like to start? Because I can start Best Motion Picture Drama, or do we want to get to the comedy musical category, which is always hilarious? Okay, well, let's go through, I would say, the two categories that matter the most, Best Picture and Best Actress for comedy and drama. So Best Motion Picture Drama, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Past Lives, The Zone of Interest, and Anatomy of a Fall. <laughs> There's some movies we need to watch before these Golden Globes. Yeah, absolutely. I really want to see Maestro. I really want to see Zone of Interest. We got to see that. I would see that based on the poster alone. I don't know if you've seen it. I have. It looks great. Haunting. Okay, so best picture, musical or comedy, which I would say that we have a year where there are legit, I mean, Barbie's a comedy, right? What else would it be? I mean, it's kind of a musical too. I mean, the reason the Golden Globes have this category is one of two reasons. One, for the films that are actually musicals and or comedies. But two, and that's what the majority of this category is, is just an ability to get more celebrities in that room. Right. This is the category that like The Martian and The Tourist were nominated in just so that Matt Damon, Johnny Depp, and Angelina Jolie would come to the award show. All right. So the rest of the category, we've got Poor Things. American Fiction, The Holdovers, Air, and what I would like to discuss with you, which is May-December is nominated for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy. It was a comedy. Was it not funny? I'm realizing that there's one of two ways to watch this movie because I was at a dinner last night with people in the industry. There was a woman talking about May-December, and I was sort of zoned out because, again, I'm recovering from illness. She, like, infected everyone at this dinner. Well, I woke up because the person next to me was like, I hated May, December. I hated every second of it. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> Wait a second. I don't know why we're putting this stuff on screen. And I was like, 
Okay, but what about the last scene? It's a joke about method acting. It's less about Mary Kay Letourneau and more a commentary on method acting. Lauren, there's always gonna be so many people that like miss the point of everything. I know, but I do feel good because the person that she was talking to was like, I'm not gonna watch this film. And then I started talking about it and she was like, all right, maybe I'm gonna watch this movie. I was like, yes. <laughs> Okay, best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama. Lily Gladstone, Killers of the Flower Moon. Carrie Mulligan, Maestro. Sandra Hewler, Anatomy of a Fall. I really gotta see Anatomy of a Fall over the holidays. Wait, what's that one about? It is about a literary couple and the husband is just found dead in their front yard or backyard one day. Greta Lee, Past Lives. Kaylee Spini for Priscilla and Annette Benning for Nyad. Blessedly, Natalie Portman, not in this category. So it is possible that Annette Benning could actually win this. Also, to go back to our conversation about who would play us in films, I can see Carrie Mulligan also playing me in the Hollywood version. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially with what you're wearing today, I feel like her award show press run has been very Blazers-oriented. <laughs> so, best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Emma Stone in Poor Things, Margot Robbie in Barbie. Should I just stop there because that's who's winning the award? It's going to be Margot Robbie. Alma Poistai for Fallen Leaves. I've not heard of this movie. Natalie Portman for May, December. Jennifer Lawrence for Nor... I got, I got like tat there. I was like, nor hard feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence in No Hard Feelings, which I have not seen. I noticed it's on Netflix. Is this a movie we should be watching? It sort of came and went. I have not heard of this. Oh, really? No Hard Feelings, though, does sound like one of those movies like No Strings Attached. Yes. I will never remember the title of this movie is basically what I'm trying to say. It seems like a fairly Brothers-esque comedy where she is a fuck-up 30-year-old and takes a job, and the job is dating this 18-year-old rich kid who's very sheltered. Okay, yes. I saw the trailer for that. And then Fantasia Barino for The Color Purple. I voted for that bitch when she was on American Idol, and and I cannot wait to see her in the color purple. Okay, but it will be Marco Robbie. <laughs> I do want to talk about the fact that all of the Barbie songs are nominated for Best Original Song. We have What Was I Made For by Billie Eilish, Dance the Night Away, the Dua Lipa song, and then the I'm Just Ken. Well, this makes me excited for the Oscars because we'll actually get performances. What if Ryan Gosling has to perform that live? I know he's regretting it. I know he's like, fuck. I agreed to sing this song. I didn't think I would have to sing at the Oscars. Like, to me, I'm Just Ken might be the 3-6 Mafia winning an Oscar <laughs> of this year's Oscars. I feel like people are not going to be able to help themselves. Like, Billie Eilish already has an Oscar, I believe, for her James Bond song. She doesn't need two Oscars. No. <laughs> Billie Eilish does not need two Oscars. Any other categories you want to talk about? Well, let's maybe talk about some surprises. Sure. I loved that Joaquin was nominated for Bo is Afraid, which, have you still not seen that? I have still not seen Team Bo is afraid. <laughs> And it's number one on John Waters' best film list. Which is now on Vulture because Art Forum has lost all of their contributors. I didn't realize that until you pointed it out. Yeah. Also, I haven't seen Dream Scenario yet, but I really want to. And I kind of hope that Nicolas Cage wins just because he's such a treasure. The joy of the Golden Globes is that 
because it is the hooier of the award shows compared to the Oscars, you can have fun people winning. You can. Also, I'm of course rooting for Christina Ricci to win for Yellow Jackets. She is nominated for Best Supporting Actress. I think that's the only nomination from that show. Yeah, they're not going to give it anything else. Also, I saw that Daisy Jones and the Six got a few nominations in the limited series category, and I love that I thought that that came out, like, years ago. You could say this about any year post-2020, but something about 2023 feels especially long. Well, it's just that there's so much prestige television. It's hard to digest all of it. You know, Chelsea, that this is the first year they're debuting two new categories, Best Performance in Stand-Up Comedy or Television, and the Cinematic and Box Office Achievement Award, which includes Your Love, Taylor Swift, and the Eras Tour, which I think is what this award was created for. Yeah, or it was created for Barbie, although it seems like Barbie is probably going to win Best Comedy, or is it? Or May-December, depending on what lens you look at it through. The other reason that this Cinematic and Box Office Achievement Award was created was just to get Tom Cruise back at award shows because Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is also nominated. I love to see Tommy come out, but you know what I'm sad about? I think this was a very terrible snub by the, wait, Hollywood Foreign Press? Is that who does this? That would be them, yes. No nominations for our boy Jacob Elordi? <laughs> No nomination for Saltburn, no nomination for Priscilla. That has to be rough to be in two nominated movies, but not be nominated yourself. It's hard to be that selfless, I gotta be honest. Yeah, also no best director for Sofia Coppola. <sighs> that's a shame. And no score nomination for May-December. That's, <laughs> that's the biggest oversight of all. The May-December score is just gonna have an impact that we're gonna talk about for years to come. So that beats any nomination honestly nominations come and go true also did you notice that color purple was not nominated for best comedy or musical oh you're right well we'll get into maybe why later in the show yeah the show will be broadcasting on January 7th on its new home, CBS. Okay. I mean, I know for the fuckheads who don't live in the United States, it's like you watch it wherever you watch it. But this is a big deal. It's been on NBC my entire life. Now it's just on CBS and I'm going to have to watch it on Paramount+. Plus. Like, what is this? See, I finally just got cable again. I can't deal with figuring out what streaming service is showing something that's like live. In other news, I have a bit of celesbian news this week. Billie Eilish has come out as bisexual in the weirdest way possible. I've seen this and what I was confused by is I just assumed she was this whole time. And then she's mad about it. She's, she has framed this as if she's been outed. It's truly so weird because she gave an interview to Variety. She's on the cover of their Power of Women issue. And I swear to God, Lauren, this issue comes out like five times a year. <laughs> I don't know how, but it does. Anyway, in the interview, she says this. I never really felt like I could relate to girls well. I love them so much. I love them as people. I'm attracted to them as people. I'm attracted to them for real. I have deep connections with women in my life, the friends of my life, the family of my life. I'm physically attracted to them, but I'm also so intimidated by them and their beauty and their presence, which is a lot of information to volunteer if you maybe don't want to come out of the closet. 
Anyway, so then she's on the red carpet for the Variety event and a journalist from Variety asks her about it. And I'll just drop a little bit of the audio here. You felt like for a long time women didn't like you. And when that came out, all the women were like, we no, like we her. love her. I know. How did that reception feel? Did your, has your mind changed a little bit? I'm still scared of them, but I think they're pretty. <laughs> Billy, did you mean did you mean to come out in the story, girl? <laughs> no, I didn't. But I kind of thought, wasn't it obvious? Like it's kind of been. I just I didn't realize people didn't know. So we need to get to a point where you don't even have to come out. So I I, I just don't really believe in it. I'm just like, why can't we just exist? I've been doing this for a long time, and I just didn't talk about it. Whoops. So that happens. And then she posts on Instagram, thanks at Variety for my award and also for outing me on a red carpet at 11 a.m. instead of talking about anything else that matters. I like boys and girls. Leave me alone about it. Please, literally, who cares? Stream, what was I made for? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, girl, no need to act like you got outed during the red scare. Like, what? You literally said I'm attracted to women. I'm just imagining the Warner music executive that's like, um, so there's a little something going on with Billie Eilish. Um, she's accusing Variety of outing her, and they're like, fuck. But she did say in an Instagram post to stream What Was I Made For? Oh, phew, okay. <laughs> that interaction with that journalist was like, quasi-flirtatious, in my opinion. It's just the whole thing is fucking weird. And I get what you're saying. Like, she's giving bisexual energy, but we've never seen her dating a woman. And there are no receipts that suggest that. Having just watched House of Kardashians finally on Peacock, I can't recommend it enough, they have all of this paparazzi footage as Caitlyn was beginning her transition, but it wasn't publicly known yet. And there's a clip of Kylie getting in her car in the Fred Siegel parking lot and the paparazzi's like, are you ready for your dad to become your mom? Like, to become a woman? And it's like, holy shit. Billie Eilish is acting like this is what happened to her. It's like, that wasn't TMZ yelling at you as you were coming out of a yoga class. It's a variety interviewer at a variety event asking you about something you said in a variety interview. Yeah, the fact that she's suggesting that it like wasn't the place to talk about it. It's like, girl, you know why you're there, right? Because you're on the cover of the magazine for which you gave this interview. I just think that celebrities are like addicted to coming out of the closet, but like they never want to give us receipts for some reason. And I don't know why that is. Like if Billie Eilish was like, I speak Japanese fluently, we would want a receipt. Yeah. This is why I respect a Lily Rose Depp. She doesn't need to come out. She can just start dating someone really hot and get papped to Erewhon. And she does. I was just about to say, you could just go down to the Erewhon in Studio City. If it's a Sunday, you'll probably see her there with 070 Shake. 070 Shake. Is that slightly homophobic? (laughs) I didn't know her name. (laughs) Another slightly weird, but I would say kind of refreshing thing is... Oprah has revealed that her recent weight loss was due to a weight loss medication. She doesn't directly say Ozempic. Well, it could be Monjaro or Wagovi. I just want to know which one she's on because she is looking great. I was wondering if we were going to discuss this because I know your love of Oprah and she has been doing the press rounds for A Color Purple, which I have to say, I do appreciate that she is wearing purple at every press event she's going to. Well, this is the impact of the Barbie press tour. Now for the next decade or two decades, 
we are going to be faced with extreme theme dressing from all celebrities when they have to promote something. I feel like the reaction to Oprah admitting that she's on a weight loss drug has been split. Like there are people that find it refreshing and then there are people who find it insincere since she is an investor or at least a stock. She's a shareholder in Weight Watchers, but Weight Watchers earlier this year began offering Ozempic. So it does feel on brand. I just think in the case of Oprah, her weight has fluctuated so drastically in the public eye for the last 40 years. It's clearly been a source of stress for her. And I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Like, I don't need her to be skinny personally, and I do think that body positivity is the ideal, but for a lot of people, being totally body positive is as unattainable as, like, looking like Emily Ratajkowski or something. Yeah, she says, the fact that there's a medically approved prescription for managing weight and staying healthier in my lifetime feels like a relief, like redemption, like a gift. We need this woman back on television. I'm sorry, Drew Barrymore just doesn't hit the same. Did you watch their interview? I didn't watch the whole thing. But yeah, I also watched her on Sherry Shepard. Yeah, she's been making the rounds this week. But honestly, I just love Oprah so much. If this is something that makes her feel better, like who the fuck cares? But I get that there's like this parasocial element of it where I think one thing that really humanizes Oprah and enables a lot of people to relate to her is her struggle with weight so it does kind of feel like a betrayal some Adele fans also had this reaction with her weight loss and I get it it sucks that like everyone just has to be skinny and now that these drugs exist I guess all celebrities will just be skinny now and that obviously is reinforcing a certain standard I mean she's one of the first celebrities and certainly the most prominent known person that just straight up admitted it exactly it's very on brand for her which feels oddly groundbreaking yeah I wish more people would although it is a fine line because then that does become an ad for the drugs and what is a better ad than this Oprah weight loss transformation what has always been interesting certainly I would say the last 30 or 40 years of celebrity consumer content is this idea that we are obsessed with certainly through gossip the reality of the work that people put into looking this youthful looking this thin but then we also hate them they go to these lengths to keep themselves this thin this youthful looking you really can't win if you're a celebrity you just have to be naturally hot naturally snatched then you'll be fine and you need to age really good or have the best surgeons like Jane Fonda yeah but I mean we talked about this with the supermodel documentary like it will drive you crazy as you get older if you are a preternaturally beautiful person yeah just be like Candace Bergen and at like 70 or 80 just be like fuck it I don't (laughs) I was hot for 60 years like I want to have pasta I don't care anymore yeah I really respect like an Anita Pallenberg she's like I'm not getting Botox fuck this I've been hot for my whole life. Like now I'm into like looking old and like fabulous. Is that us? I hope so. I do think that aging naturally in a sort of highly stylized, beautiful way (laughs) is going to be like a beauty ideal in the future. Do you think you would go gray at a certain point? Um, maybe. I could see that on you. Maybe. But I would want it to be extreme. Like, I would want, like, white hair. I don't want to do an in-between. I don't want just, like, a random Sontag streak. See, I would be into that. Yeah? Like, a mostly dark hair, but then the the white streaks. It's probably coming around the corner any time now. Fuck. I gotta start taking my Nutrafol. (laughs) 
don't have an ad for him this week. But, oh, damn. But I love the energy. Since we're on the subject of Oprah, should we just talk about the very deceiving trailer for The Color Purple and some other films that are coming out soon? So there's been something going on in the world of trailers where Mean Girls, Wonka, and The Color Purple have all been given trailers to not let you know in the least that they are musicals and they are fucking musicals. And as someone that despises musicals, you can't do this kind of false advertising. No, it's rude. You either love musicals or you hate musicals. And we shouldn't be rickrolling the haters into watching these musicals, especially because it's like, if a musical is truly brilliant then everyone just ends up seeing it anyway. Well, I was reading an article that was trying to explain why this is happening because three films that are coming out within a two-month span of each other, like, this is definitely a trend. And they pointed to the failures of In the Heights, Cats, and Dear Evan Hansen. And, like, in the case of Cats and Dear Evan Hansen, it's like... Those were just bad. The fact that they're not saying that Wonka is a musical, I think is a disservice to Wonka because why would this movie exist then if it wasn't a musical? Well, Mean Girls really makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Because the musical is the reason to do another Mean Girls. Wonka, at least it's more established that it's a beloved story that, you know, we get Wonka movies every single decade, pretty much. As someone that dislikes musicals, I might see Wonka the musical actually I know this doesn't make any sense but like the way that the trailer is now I can't get a beat on what the tone is it's like is this a gritty retelling of the origin of Willy Wonka well I am intrigued because does this mean that Oompa Loompa Hugh Grant could possibly have some incredible 11 o'clock number only one way to find out we have to go no I'm definitely going with my parents to see that for sure we also have to watch Mean Girls. I'm sorry. Okay. You're going to have to see it. I didn't see it on Broadway. Everyone that I talked to that works in theater was like, the music isn't that good. So I never felt like a strong desire to fork out the money and go. But I am interested to see this version. And I do think that Busy Phillips playing the Amy Poehler role is smart casting. Although Tina Fey is still herself. Yeah. But it's super weird that the color purple is marketed like this because the music in the color purple is incredible. To make this choice because Dear Evan Hansen bombed is like a very interesting choice. It's like, no, no, no. Well, one, that's a musical that most people knew was popular but didn't know the plot until the trailer of the film and went, wait, what? Yeah. He lies about knowing someone that killed himself because he likes a girl? It just wasn't good. The songs are good but somehow it just didn't work out. Isn't Julianne Moore in that film? Isn't she Evan Hansen's mom? Yes, it was in fact Julianne Moore that played the mom. Wait, Amy Adams isn't dear Evan Hansen? That must be so cool to be in a terrible movie, but no one knows that you're in it. Like having that kind of Teflon on your filmography. Well, Dear Evan Hansen, did it even get a theatrical release? Question mark. Well, I didn't see it in the theater. I just saw it on streaming. And that's honestly probably what should have happened to Mean Girls, the musical. Like if they can't even market this as a musical, like does it need a theatrical release? They played an Olivia Rodrigo song during the trailer. Yeah, I don't know how this is going to end up because because if these movies don't do well because they hid the fact that it's a musical, 
studios are going to be like, wait, if we market it as a musical, it won't do well. And if, if we market it not as a musical, it doesn't do well. So I think they're just going to stop making musicals as movies, which would be a joyous day for me, but I know it would make you very sad. One out of three of them are good, I think. So one of these surely is watchable. I don't know which one yet, but I will get back to you. No, I hear what you're saying. There was Newsies and then no other good film musicals after that, in my opinion. That's so not true. Can we also get into some other deceptive marketing that I recently saw? Sure. I was driving down the street this week. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I get a panicked call from Lauren. I said, Chelsea, please Google. I can't get into a car accident right now. But I'm looking at a billboard that says Far Away Downs, and it says Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman and a Baz Luhrmann multi-part television series. I said, is this not just the movie Australia? And the answer is yes, yes. it is the movie Australia. <laughs> Premiering on Hulu with a runtime of 226 minutes, Far Away Downs is described as a film in six parts. Far Away Downs isn't Australia Plus or a director's cut. This is Baz Luhrmann. He emphasizes instead it's a variation and an opportunity to go deeper. Um, so this is what we're doing with movies that don't work now. <laughs> we're just waiting about 12 years and then rebranding them as limited series. But what he means as go deeper is sort of like center Aboriginal Australians a little bit more. I mean, actually, I don't know how much they can be centered in a film starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman. But at the very least, this devotes a little bit more time to their oppression. Yeah, there was a Vulture article with Baz Luhrmann where he talked about it. And it turns out that this was his pandemic project. Remember when we all realized that COVID was a big deal because Tom Hanks got COVID on the set of Elvis. This is what Baz Luhrmann was doing while they were shut down, is he went back and looked at all the footage he shot for Australia and was like, I think there's more here. <laughs> Look, I love the idea of re-editing something that was seen as a flop into a masterpiece. Like people have been trying to do that with Heaven's Gate for like 10,000 years now. This reminded me that there was a movie that came out earlier this year with Glenn Howerton called Blackberry that's about the rise and fall of the Blackberry. It premiered at South by Southwest. <laughs> Why are there so many of these? I swear <laughs> we're about to get a limited series about the rise and the fall of the Bump It or something. Well, but here's what's crazy. It was a feature film. It debuted at South by Southwest. It came out in theaters. It was released on VOD. And then I saw in October that AMC had bought it. They were adding an hour to the two-hour film and then breaking it up into a three-part limited series. There wasn't even any, like, gap time. Like, this movie came out this year, and I was like, oh, I guess it's airing next year. When I went back to research this to talk about it, it had already aired a month ago, and I completely missed it again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't love this. No, but I would like to announce now that um, if Good Girl comes out and it bombs, that I will be repackaging it and making it a limited <laughs> series <laughs> that I'll release four years from now. <laughs> It'll do great then. Uh, Shall we get into some controversies? Let's do it. The prolific Japanese pop artist Hajime Soriyama came for Beyonce this week in an Instagram post. I will read it now. He said, yo, at Beyonce, you should have asked me officially so that I could make much better work for you like I did for my man at the weekend. And this caption was accompanied by 
a still of Beyonce in a robot costume from the Renaissance tour. As well as merch that I imagine was sold at the Renaissance tour. This was bizarre to, to just wake up this week in December and choose violence because the Renaissance tour happened months ago. I don't know if Sariamo saw the film in theaters and got upset again, but like, why now? <laughs> Which is what most of the Bayhive wrote in the comments. Why now? <laughs> Look, he's not wrong. Having seen that tour, there is no question that his work inspired several of the visuals, even the chrome horse on the album cover is right. like one of his chrome horse paintings. But this is where things get tricky because it's not like this man invented the sexy robot thing. By the way, he is known for these very sexy airbrush paintings of women that look like sexy robots. Right, but this gets into the circular nature of inspiration because she's wearing an archival Mugler piece. The inspiration for everyone, from Soriamo to Mugler to Beyonce, is Fritz Lang's movie Metropolis, which is the originator of the sexy robot. <laughs> yes. It's obvious that the Renaissance tour was not inspired by Metropolis. Soriamo's work was on the The Express board. Yourself video? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this? No. The reality is, is that it's not an obscure reference. Every creative director working today is familiar with this man's work. His work is incredibly mass and he's done so many collaborations. Like he did that Dior collaboration not that long ago. Apparently there's a Stella McCartney collection that's out now that I started getting sponsored ads for <laughs> once I looked at enough like Beyonce, Soriyama stuff online. Just hire him as a consultant, whatever. You also could say the same about H.R. Geiger. It's kind of like the Renaissance tour combined those two things in a way. It's like we got the robot woman, but she's like hooked up to tubes. Really, Gaga should be furious with the chromatica visuals. <laughs> it's also weird to be like, hey, why didn't you just come to me like my buddy The Weeknd? I could have done this much better for you. It's like, it's done. Like, you could have made this point the week that the Renaissance tour came out. Like Victor and Rolf. And also, I have to say, they did do a good job at copying. Like, I don't think it was a poorly executed ripoff of his work. Like, I think it was a very well done. I will say the merch item that he posted is a little weak. He probably could have made that piece better. Sure. The merch, sure. Onto something rough. It has been a rough week for Zara. Zara faced a ton of backlash for their latest campaign titled The Jacket. It featured the model Kristen McMenemy posing in a studio amongst rubble, broken drywall, and statues wrapped in white. Many online called the campaign insensitive as they felt that these images too closely resembled the images coming out of Gaza. The images of bodies in fabric like burial shrouds. Was it the intent of Zara who shot this campaign months ago to mock the deaths of Palestinians that would occur months later? No. Like that reasoning is as headless as the statues in this photo. Nicely done. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, like seeing the images from the Zara campaign and the real life images from war, it's not great, but it's not what they're referencing. And like those two things can be true. Right, but so many people do not care about intent or context. You can't argue with them because their outrage is dictated by their own triggers. And if something triggers them for whatever reason, it shouldn't exist for anyone. I couldn't understand what 
people on the internet thought Zara's intent was supposed to be if they were directly referencing this because people were accusing Zara of using a genocide for their latest campaign or mocking a genocide for their latest campaign or even thinking that a hole in the wall in the campaign looked like an upside down map of Palestine. Okay, that's crazy. We need to talk about the set because the set was supposed to look like, I suppose, a storage facility in a museum that had fallen into disrepair or like a construction zone or something, which is very typical for Tim Walker's work, right? He loves photographing models in rubble. He loves a dusty ass drop cloth. Like that's just what his work is. So Zara has pulled the ad and they said in a statement, the campaign that was conceived in July and photographed in September presents a series of images of unfinished sculptures in a sculptor's studio and was created with the sole purpose of showcasing craft made garments in an artistic context. Can we have a bigger discussion about maybe Zara should stop trying to do high-end, like, mid-aughts Vogue editorials for their campaigns? Because <laughs> it's not working. What they do really well is making you think that their clothes are going to look good on you. Like, we don't need a whole editorial bent. Like, your photography was doing great before. No one would have seen these images if not for this controversy. You know what I mean? I find it really ironic that the people that are most vocal about calling out brands for offensive imagery, whether it's Zara or Balenciaga or whoever, are ultimately the ones that then disseminate that image across the internet. In this case, they disseminated this image juxtaposed with photos of dead children, basically. So that's the context in which most people will see this image. I think it's kind of insane that like we're so constantly inundated with all of these violent images coming out of Israel and Palestine. And like, this is what we care about. This is the reason to boycott Zara, not their labor practices or their environmental impact. Yes, and you've allowed Zara to not have to answer for their clothing making practices by allowing them to be performative in this way of like, well, we took the ad down, so everything's better now. And now it's no longer on their website. They had no choice but to pull it, really. And it doesn't really seem like a significant enough shoot. It's not like they had billboards of it that they had to take down. We were going to end with fashion, but we realized that that's way too depressing of a topic <laughs> yeah, to wanna... have left the podcast on. Nope. So um, we're going to talk about some TV and movie news a little bit more. Um, and what can be seen as either good news for some and horrible for others, Lena Dunham has a new television show. Dunham, along with her husband, Louis Felber, have co-created a romantic comedy series titled Too Much for Netflix, starring Megan Statler and Will Sharp. I'm excited. I'm ready for Lena Dunham to be back on TV. Yes, camping wasn't a great show, but Girls was a great show. And Industry, which is what brought her to London. I don't think either of us watched that show. It's supposed to be good. Is it? We don't have enough time. <laughs> From what I've read, this show seems very autobiographical for her, which I think is a good lane for her to be in, or it has been historically. Too Much follows Jessica, played by Statler, a New York workaholic in her mid-30s who is reeling from a broken relationship that she thought would last forever and slowly isolating everyone she knows. When every block in New York tells a story of her own bad behavior, the only solution is to take a job in London where she plans to live a life of solitude like a Bronte sister. But when she meets Felix, played by Sharp, who is less Hugh Grant in Notting Hill and more Hugh Grant's drunken roommate, she finds that their unusual connection is impossible to ignore, even as it creates more problems than it solves. I'm in. Also, Megan Stoltler is genius casting 
for a stand-in for Lena Dunham. I love her. Does that mean that she's not going to be in the third season of Hacks? Or is it the fourth season of Hacks? I'm sure she'll work out both. Even if you're not a fan of Lena Dunham, a romantic comedy as television series is so rarely attempted that everyone should be hyped for this. Yeah. Because I can't handle another dramedy, another hour-long dramedy on television. Like, please give me a 30-minute rom-com. I will watch anything. Yeah, I can't deal with another, like, true crime podcast that became a limited series right now. I did want to mention that the next Mattel feature after Barbie's success will be the American Girl live-action film. So great. Can I be a consultant on that? Because (laughs) I have thoughts about all of the girls. Or at least the main girls. What do you think the plot of this film should be, would be? That's a hard one because all the American girls are technically living in different time periods. So does time travel have to be involved in this? Ever since the Lego film and Barbie has followed this as well, it seems like when you make these kind of movies they have to acknowledge that they're dolls i would like one film not to and i yeah i would like this to just be a straight up time travel film the one thing that american girl dolls have now compared to barbie is they have the store and there's like a hospital i think for the dolls like i think a lot could take place there in the century city mall how's it gonna get fucked up that's all i wonder what if it's actually a musical and then the trailer they hide the (laughs) fact that it's a musical Shall we talk about a movie that we both saw this week? Lauren, I think I see hundreds of deer in your backyard. Should I be worried? (laughs) Yes, Chelsea and I both watched the Netflix film Leave the World Behind, written and directed by Sam Esmill. Okay, who is that? Who made this? (laughs) Who's responsible for this? In a text exchange, it was like, do we watch Past Lives or do we watch Leave the World Behind? I was like, please watch Leave the World Behind. I think we're going to have more to talk about. Why did you let me watch this? Why did you tell me to watch this? Because as I explained, it's Shyamalan adjacent. It's Shyamalan coded, which I thought you would appreciate. You're right. It is. It's a worse version of Signs is what it is. It's a less religious... Less scary version of signs. It wants to be signs, but unfortunately it's the happening, which means not a lot happens. <laughs> okay, Sam Esmo, he made a movie called Comet, which is where he met his now wife, Emmy Rossum. But what he's known for is he's the creator of Mr. Robot. Did you ever watch Mr. Robot? I watched a season or two. I'll watch anything that Christian Slater's in. King Cobra, whatever that movie was, where he's a gay porn producer, watched it the first weekend I could. Well, that does seem very up your alley, to be fair. Dr. Death, I'm in. (laughs) Anything Christian Slater's in, I will watch. But it went off the rails pretty quickly. Did you also know that this is a film from the Obama production company that is set up at Netflix? What? Yes. This is a Barack Obama produced fake Shyamalan film. Okay, that's fully insane. Well, I think we should note that it's based on a book. Tat read the book and was obsessed with the book and tried to get me to read it, but I never did. But I've heard very good things about that. But something about the way this translated just did not work out. It's funny. I don't know if Tad said something to you. I had a friend who read this book and watched this movie. And she was like, to say it's an adaptation of the book is a stretch. So I think Sam Esmail took uh, a lot of liberties when he adapted this. So for those who don't know... The movie is about a family's getaway to a luxurious rental home takes an ominous turn when a cyber attack knocks out their devices and two strangers appear at their door. The movie stars Ethan Hawke and Julia Roberts. At the start of the film, Julia Roberts is a very type A woman who has decided to rent an Airbnb because she needs to get the fuck out of the city. 
Speaking of deceptive trailers, this was another deceptive trailer because the trailer that I saw only had the reveal that Mahersha Ali and his daughter show up at the door and are like, oh, hey, this is actually our house and we need to stay here tonight. I didn't get any of the... Cyber attack stuff. Yeah, or supernatural shit at all. Right. So anyway, spooky stuff starts happening. Uh, They're at the beach the first day. A boat capsizes on the beach. Everyone's very blasé about it. A bunch of deer just in the backyard. It's more like an oil tanker drives onto the beach. My main takeaway from this film is that Ethan Hawke wears a bikini kill shirt. He's he's that kind of Gen X dad. Yeah, it also has the most jarring title sequence in the history of cinema, I think. We start like with this domestic scene with like the two whitest people alive and then it smash cuts into this Joey badass song. Like what? This isn't your average apocalyptic film where nothing's explained, okay? (laughs) When I learned that the Obamas produced this movie, it started to make a lot of sense to me because I was watching an interview with Sam Esmail where he's like, yeah, um, you know, President Obama gave me a lot of notes about how this would really uh, go down if this happened in America spoilers for leave the world behind but it's it's not very good if you don't want spoilers you can just like turn off the podcast now because we're not talking about anything else right yeah so there you go towards the end when they go to Kevin Bacon's house who is a prepper who's like a MAGA coded prepper I was like oh this is so the first Obama administration where it's like I'm gonna have Republicans giving me counsel and Democrats and like we need all of these voices because at one point Mahershali says to Kevin Bacon like we're friends and he's like that's the old world and I'm like okay one I'm sorry the two of you would never be friends <laughs> sorry I'm gonna stop you right there when Kevin Bacon came out I was like wow they did that <laughs> he he did that I did feel represented in this film though which doesn't always happen in doomsday films I felt very represented by the daughter who's watching friends yes As if that wasn't us as children? Come on. I don't think I was quite so infantile at the age of 13, but when I was 10, sure, that would be me in the apocalypse. Yeah, there's a subplot about being able to watch the last episode of Friends, which from my memory is is not that good. Yeah, I don't remember it at all at this point. I guess my question to you is, what is this film trying to do? Because the message that I took away from it, speaking of the subplot about watching Friends is we need to hold on to physical media because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I think the takeaway of this film is that like society is on the brink of collapse and we're all just watching Friends reruns. We're all just like disassociating. In 2013, there were two superhero films that came out. The climax of the film featured like 75 9-11s. And I think as a culture, we were like, oh, no, no, we don't need that reality dramatized in our media. And I feel that way about this genre of film of like, (laughs) this could happen. It's like, yeah, I fucking know this can happen. Like, give me the Lena Dunham romantic comedy series. I don't (laughs) need to be reminded that if like a few degrees this way and like everything goes to shit, because here's my plan. I'm killing myself. Yeah, but how? 
here's the thing. We've had this conversation before. That's why I'm hesitating. Okay. It's fucked up how we've had this conversation before because we've like gone through quite like the Dorothy Parker poem, how every way to kill yourself could fail. And I think we decided on gun. Yeah, I think gun is safe. <laughs> gun safe. Gun is a safe, but we have to have a gun. That's the, that's the hiccup. Okay. What was with the animals though? Did the CGI flamingos swim because of the radiation or? That kind of weird shit shit in those kind of movies is great but you have to fucking explain why like you can do all the weird shit you want in a movie you have to explain it that's why fucking get out is so good everyone's acting super weird the entire movie spoiler alert for get out but like (laughs) you would never predict like oh my god they are putting their relatives in these missing people oh this is just a 1950s sci-fi b movie at the heart of it They don't fucking explain shit in this movie. No. I don't know why. At least with signs, everything comes together. The audience is kept in the dark, literally and figuratively. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, literally. For much of the film. And that's a very effective technique for scaring people. But there is a payoff. There is an explanation. And then Mel Gibson has a religious awakening. Which is true to life. (laughs) Yeah, I need to rewatch that movie. Science is so good. I think that might be my favorite Shyamalan, actually. Don't watch Leave the World Behind. Just watch Science instead. You can watch Leave the World Behind, but just don't think it's going anywhere. Like, it has some good moments, and certainly the concept of it is is gripping, but it didn't come together. It's like Paul Haggis's Crash had a movie baby with latter-day M. Night Shyamalan. Because it flirts with that very mid-aughts race conversation that existed in the movie Crash. It's very heavy-handed in that area, I will say. I wondered if you noticed this as you are such a logistic psycho. Like whenever we watch Sex in the City, you're like... She was in Soho. She couldn't walk two feet and then be on the Upper West Side. This Airbnb that they're going to, right? Hours outside the city. Yet when they're in the woods, they look out and Manhattan is no further away than if you were in fucking New Jersey. I was watching this movie with Paul. He freaked the fuck out when he saw that. And I just was like, there's no way that that was the guy line of Manhattan. That just has to be, I don't know, fucking Long Island. There's no way they would make that big of a logistical mistake. That was Manhattan. What are you talking about? That's insane. Yes, it is insane. And I'm just shocked that this wasn't the first thing you wanted to talk about. Just pull it up on Netflix, babe. I remember seeing it, but I was just like, it was so egregious. I was like, there's no way that they actually made that mistake. But you're right. No, that is the skyline of Manhattan. Did you happen to see the trailer for Alex Garland's Civil War? No. That's coming out next year. It's exactly what it sounds like. There's a civil war in America. Is it about like the civil war or like a future civil war? Oh, a future civil war. It is getting into the thing where it's like, I don't want a reality that very possibly could exist reflected in movies. But what a lot of people are making fun of is the fact that Alex Garland, who's a Brit, has written that there's a Western force of Texas and California who have banded together and have succeeded and are fighting uh, the United States government. Texas and California? Exactly. I'm going to hope that this is explained in the movie. But What happened with New Mexico and Arizona? (laughs) Because they're right in the middle of this. I got to say, given the type of movies that are coming out, 
I'm just going to say it. I need a good musical. Maybe I will go see Wonka. We have to see a lot of these Oscars movies, certainly. Let's try and do that over the holiday break, and then we can come back and and get into it. A bit of an update. In a fever-induced delusion said that I was going to buy a George Santos cameo so that he could sign off of our podcast. And many of you correctly said, don't give him money. And then I learned that he had made $250,000 in just a couple days from cameos. And I said, you know what? Let's let that go. I do respect the hustle, though. That's for the best. We would be better off giving $400 to a stranger on the street. That's true. But we find ourselves at the end of the show with no outro. Well, we will be back next week with a Sex in the City episode, right? Yes, we will. So look out for that. Or maybe you'll actually never get that because Lauren keeps deleting the episodes of our podcast. A little behind the podcast. Uh, we were switching over to a new web hosting platform and I'm somehow our producer. I'm the talent. I'm the IT person. And some things fall between the cracks. So if any of you noticed earlier this week that two episodes went missing for a few hours, I apologize. They're back now. Look, we all have bad days. Mine are just coming all all in a week, pushed <laughs> together. All right. Well, I'm going to leave you to set up your Christmas tree, which you still haven't done. I know. I know. I promise it's going to happen just in time for Christmas. All right. I love you, Chell. Love you. Bye. Bye.